Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside with Rod. We're here to do our second Ohio State preview as Ohio State Buckeyes come to the Breslin Center on Saturday for Senior Day and the final game of the season. Uh, before we begin, I'd like to offer a quick thanks to Sean Buckholtz, uh, who said, keep up the good work, and gave us a one-time uh, gift via, I think it was PayPal. Uh, thanks so much, Sean. We appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing all these extra things and talking to all of you, and it's been a real joy for me this season, although it's been super busy. Uh, it's been, you know, <laughs> it has been a lot of fun, and so I appreciate that, that you that you appreciate us. If you want to send us your appreciation, you could certainly go on over to uh, the support page at the final force on the schedule.com slash support. You can either sign up for a monthly donation through pay- Patreon, or you can do one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo. Uh, so let's talk about Ohio State Buckeyes, who were an abject disaster for most of the Big Ten season, and they've had a glimmer of twinkling of you know success here at the very end. They're 13 and 17 overall, 5 and 14 in the conference. They're on a two-game winning streak, which is, I think, well, I think they started out winning a couple games, didn't they? And, the, and then lost like 12 in a row or something. Either they were three and out or two yeah. and out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so two-game winning streak. They defeated, and they defeated real teams. They defeated Illinois and Maryland uh, after losing 14 of their previous 15, with their only win there being at home against Iowa. Overall, they're 55th in Ken Palm on offense. They're 24th. And... Uh, they're a lot different on the other end. Defensively, they're 112th. Uh, so again, the same sort of pattern we've seen under Holtman for quite a number of years now, to the point now where I guess you just say that's just that's just him and his teams. Well, it it looked yeah. I mean, you know, something's got to change in order to believe it's not the case. Yeah. This is clearly not a, a Matt Painter situation where there was just one blip of a year where because of personnel you know, particular personnel that year um, that they had defensive issues. This is three years running. Yeah. Ohio State's been pretty bad defensively. And so offense, they're 24th and, uh, or yeah, they're, uh, they shoot the three really well. They shoot a 35.4%, which is a good number. Uh, they've struggled with the twos at 158th. They don't turn the ball over very often. They're number number 55 on turnovers. And a good offensive rebounding team at 59. Uh, although, since those numbers, I guess you could say, most of the season they had Zed Key. And although he's been sort of off and on injured and sort of, you know. <laughs> but they, the numbers have declined. Yeah. And so. Since, since, he, since he was, the last couple games he was playing where he really, if you saw those, he wasn't. Yes. He was only half out there. And, and then since he stopped playing, their numbers have, have declined. 
So it's having an impact. I watched, I don't remember what game I watched with him playing, but I just felt so bad for the kid. I mean, he's, he's oh, really yeah. hard. And he, I mean, terrible. every time he get like bumped or, you know, a blow on his shoulder, he's in pain. I mean, it just felt terrible for that guy. Every single game over the last probably eight or so that he played, it was a matter of time until at some point he would get hit on that shoulder enough that he would double over in pain. He'd have, they'd have to stop for a minute till he gathered himself and then usually continue, but you know, not at the same, it, it just was happening again and again and again. And I, you know, and the, the rationale at the time was he had been told, well, you're not going to make it any worse, which I'm sure, you know, I'll, I'll take that at face sure, value yeah. that that was accurate, but that's not really the whole equation as watching him told you, you know, he wasn't nearly as effective as he was before that almost goes without saying but um you know on, on top of that how long are you going to watch a kid go through that you know after game after game where he's he's having to go through extreme pain this this wasn't clearly okay play through you know x injury yeah he was, he was trying to do that, but it was happening over and over and over. And at some point, and especially given where their season was, I think, I think that probably was the deciding factor that there was just a realization, Hey, there really is, you know, you're showing, you got a lot of toughness, a lot of guts. That's great, but there's nothing at stake on the team level and you're hurting, you're getting hurt physically over and over and over. Let's just shut it down. Yeah. And some of you, you even say that you're hurting the next year's team because, you know, the sooner he gets that fixed, the sooner he can start recovering and be prepared for next season. That and the other thing is for better or for worse, you do allow other guys to play those minutes and you hope that those guys will be back next year. So you might be doing next year's team some good in that sense sure, as well. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so let's see the, uh, the only other problem with this team on offense is they don't shoot a lot of free throws. They're 322nd in free throw attempts to field goal attempts. That's pretty low. Yeah, that's, since they're what, 360? That's, that's down there in Michigan. That's down there in Michigan State territory <laughs> uh, in terms of not getting to the free right. throw line. Uh, defensively, they've been pretty terrible. They're uh, against twos, they're 145th. Uh, they've been pretty good against threes on a percentage basis at 65th, but they allow a lot of attempts. And defensively yeah. rebounding, they're poor at 172nd, and they play pretty slow pace at 232nd. So this is not the Ohio State team from six, seven, eight years ago. This is a, I, although I guess you'd say in many ways, this is the Ohio State team we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, worse, well, but yeah. clearly. I mean, they, they made the NCAA tournament the last couple of years. Um, and actually, two years ago, they were sitting in very position until they had a late-season nosedive. Um, but for most of that year, that team was pretty good. Uh, yeah, it, it's just the, the deal is Chris Holtman had to replace a lot of guys. So he didn't go, you know, there, there's this, this, um, question. Now I just saw an article ESPN today, this idea around, are you better off? Uh, building through recruiting high school players, you know, the old fashioned way, or you're better off going to the portal. And the num one of the numbers they cited in this 
which I did find was interesting. Of the top 100 high school recruits last year, the consensus top 100, I'll ask you, Eric, how many do you think are averaging in double digits this year scoring out of the top, top 100? 100? I would say top 100 high school recruits. I would say 15 to 20. 11. Yeah. Okay. That's not too far. Off 11. Yeah. That is a shockingly low number. Okay. What is it normally? Does, how many, do of the to- how many of the top 100 they did? I, I don't think there was a, an average, yeah, but I sure. can assure you historically it's better than that. Yeah. Historically, I would assume it's in the, you know, at, at 30. Sure. Makes sense. Mid twenties, yeah. somewhere around there. I would guess that's just a guess. Uh, how many of the top 100 rate portal? recruits do you think are scoring in double digits oh i bet i bet at three quarters so 75 not quite <laughs> 62 okay that's a lot yeah that's a lot that's a higher number than i would have assumed because remember top 100 encompasses a lot of guys so you've got a ton of guys in that scenario who are transfer ups and we've seen in the past that that doesn't always work out tell you what I think has changed the equation. I'm very, very skeptical of those scenarios because year after year after year, we saw it in the big 10 and it just didn't seem seem to work very well. We are seeing it work tremendously well. Now look at, I mean, look all around the conference. I mean, granted Tyson Walker's in his second year, but you look at what he's doing. You look at guys like um, uh, the kids that Penn state has, that have walked right in or yeah. double Illinois, scores. Yeah. Camp Spencer at Rutgers, Illinois, on, on, and on, all over the conference, these guys. I think one of the things that's changed is, this is obvious, but I think it's true, we're not talking about grad transfers anymore. It used to be that you were strictly limited to that, you know, unless you had a guy willing to sit out a year. But for instant eligibility, it was just grad transfers. And so for a lot of those years, those were the transfer up guys, guy who had played three years um, or, well, had played three years and still had a year of eligibility at a mid-major, got their degree and decided to spend their last year in the big time and, and see if they could make a go of it. Now, talking about being able to get guys from majors who have produced as say sophomores, they didn't redshirt. You know that was the that was the thing is that you really had to find a guy who redshirted. You know mm-hmm. because they have to have graduated to be a graduate transfer, but they still needed to have a year of eligibility. So that eliminated some guys from consideration. Well, now those guys are no longer off the table. So you can do what Michigan State did, and you can go get Tyson Walker coming off his sophomore year where he played extremely well at Northeastern and you bring him into the big Ten, or all the guys around, you know, there, it's no longer guys who are in their fifth year or, or of, uh, of competition. So the pool is much, much larger than it used to be. And, and, and then I also think with high major transfers, so look at a guy you mentioned, Illinois, look at a guy like Terrence Chan. Well, he didn't have to sit out a year, right? You know, he wasn't a senior. So he, he wasn't a grad transfer scenario, so he could just transfer from one high major to another and be immediately eligible. So I think the cap 
number of guys in the portal is different than it was even three years ago. Sure. And so that, that's a big, big deal. But consequently, there is this debate now within, you know, the basketball world, the college basketball world. Are you better off foregoing the reliance on high school recruiting, shifting a lot more of that attention to uh, the portal? And the, and the article mentioned that, you know, there's an expectation that some head coach, if you go to an EYBL event, let's say the, the one I've traditionally gone to is the one in Indianapolis. That is a who's who of college coaches. And the last one I went to, uh, which was before COVID, was striking because Thad Mata from Ohio State at that point wasn't there. It was stunning. And it ended up that he ended up fi- being fired, resigning, whatever, yeah, okay. whatever they called it. It was being dismissed um, shortly thereafter. And the reason is he, he just couldn't do it physically. But it was it was notable that he wasn't there because all were there. I mean, you see three stars in the bathroom next to Patrick Ewing. <laughs> I mean, you just you see them all. And what this article was suggesting is. Because the first, in, probably not Indianapolis, but wherever the first is, Indianapolis, I think, is usually the second. Uh, because that's going to come in more like mid-April, which is prime portal recruiting season, that you may see college coaches skipping that event to stay back on campus and host portal recruits. We'll see. But anyway, this is the choice that supposedly faces these coaches. Well, Holtman did both. He had so many. He went out, he's got a big freshman recruiting class. I think he had five guys. Um, currently two are starting and a third is the leading scorer on the team. Sensible. It just doesn't happen to start. Right. Um, they either had four or five recruits this year in their high school class. They also put in a bunch of transfers. So um, the, the bottom line is he had very much a new team. He had a few guys returning. Key was returning. Uh, Just Sewing was returning. He was coming back off an injury. Um, Eugene Brown, a handful of guys returning. But by and large, it was a new team. And I'll freely admit, I had Ohio State picked fourth. I thought that the talent level was good enough that they would figure it out. And it hasn't worked out that way at all. You know, we, we talked about this some most recently on our bracketology episode, which I would, anybody listening to this who hasn't listened to that one yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because uh, in preparation for selection stuff, because I think there was a lot of really, really good insight, but we spent some time talking about Ohio state and even today for a team five and 14 in a major conference to still be 50. What did I say? 55th. 55th yeah. In Ken Palm. It's crazy. Is remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there are reasons for understand they haven't been getting blown out. They've been cl- competitive in many of their losses. Not, it's Michigan State, but most of them they are. And some of their wins have been big wins. Now you got to go back a while to find those, but nevertheless, they're there. But 
I think anyone paying close attention to Big Ten basketball knew that the wheels were starting to fall off mm-hmm. long before the metrics. I mean, when Michigan State played them in Columbus, which was not that long ago, what, two, three weeks ago? Yeah. Um, Ohio State was still, I believe, solidly in the 30s <laughs> in Ken Palm and Net. But they were terrible. It was, yeah, they were a bad team and we knew it. They were a favorite in that game. <laughs> they were favored to beat Michigan State. Michigan State went in and beat them by 21, right? Yeah. I mean, it just, and it, and it was, it, there was that much of a difference. That wasn't a fluke four. So um, they've just, and it's been a variety of things. I think the injury problems is key that he really hasn't been straight physically for at least half of this season, maybe even a little right. more. That's a big blow because that's a veteran low post center. And we spend so much time on this podcast talking about how the big 10 is such a big man centric conference. Well, they had a guy who could hand their war with the other fives around the league and at the other end, cause them problems because he's a really good low post player and without him and near full strength, that's been a struggle. And then I just think that the pieces have not fit together the way that they had hoped you, you have some individuals who are having, you know, respectable seasons, good seasons. I mean, a lot of a sense of much more than that actually, Yeah. but it just hasn't fit together. And, and I think the biggest problem of course, is at the defensive end. I mean, when you're outside the top 100 on defense as a big 10 team, you're bad with a capital B. <laughs> You can't guard anybody. That's just the bottom line. And you can, if someone wants to say, well, it's probably mostly a function of a lack of continuity in their roster, throwing all these new guys together and, and having problems, figuring out how to play as a unit defensively. Okay. I can't, I can't say that that's wrong. I think that's probably got a lot to do with it, but, put it here at the outset this is now a running theme for ohio state so i begin to wonder is there a problem on that bench because these are now different guys you know that excuse didn't apply to the two previous years where they had a fair amount of continuity yeah you know and they were still bad this year's a little worse but it's bad as bad as bad at a certain point and so i i yeah i think that um Everything that, that could go wrong for the most part has, they've had some bad luck. They had that game where they should have beaten Purdue and kind of got, it was a Purdue or Ohio or a Rutgers. They beat Rutgers. Rutgers shouldn't have lost that game. They beat, they got the break from Rutgers. They lost Purdue on a bad, yeah, they should have beaten Purdue, but you're right. Then the Rutgers win shouldn't have been a win. Yeah. So giveth and taketh away. Right. But in any event, it just hasn't worked. And you do begin to wonder, I mean, I think we talked about this around the first game. Uh, It's going to be an interesting off season in Columbus because Chris Holtman has a, has a team with a lot of guys who could come back. I mean, it's still a young group. He's going to lose suing. I believe he loses McNeil and likely because I think they were grad guys, Correct. but all the other guys back, 
And, you know, they'll probably lose sense about of the NBA, but they still return some guys. And then they've got another really good recruiting class, arguably a better recruiting class than this year's slated to come in next season. So is that enough to bring him back? You know, he's, he's made all the noise he's made Holtman I'm talking about is that, well, of course he's back. Yeah. And I just to, just to go on the record, I don't think they're going to fire him, but I have wondered, is this a year where Chris Holtman looks at his reality in Columbus and says, you know what, if there's a high major job where they want to hire me and I can more or less make it a lateral move, maybe not making quite as much, but you know, somewhere in the ballpark and get a fresh start. Maybe that's worth doing. I do not rule that out at all. I, and, and I also think, you know, if you're in a situation where that happens, another school comes calling and they want to take your coach and you want him, well, you're going to up the ante. I would wonder then does Ohio state say, you know what, Chris, that's good for you. Why don't you go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it, sure. I think it's possible. And, you know, one job that's been mentioned, but you've heard this with a couple guys in the Big Ten already, is Notre Dame. You hear it with Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. <laughs> I find that one both easier and harder to understand, easier because he actually was an assistant at Notre Dame for quite a while, but harder in that he's 63. He's no chance. He, he can he can decide when it's his time's up at Iowa. They're never going to fire him, I don't think. But, but he's one name you've heard and Holtman is another, although maybe uh, not quite as strongly, at least not yet. But to me, Holtman makes more sense because that would be getting out ahead of the posse. Cause I think if he has another year anywhere close to this in Columbus, then I do think firing comes possible. I mean, they fired Thad Mata for less in my view with a hell of a lot more cred bank. Oh, sure. Yeah. Holtman's so, kind of living off his success at Butler, really, in many ways. And his first year, his first year with that players, Ohio State was really good. Um, uh, Bates, Diop, and uh, and Tate were holdovers mm-hmm. that had been inconsistent players under Mata, and they just found it, and they made Ohio State very, very good that year. Yeah. So his first year was fine, but boy, after that. Um, it's been, and been a disaster until this year, but I've been on this bandwagon for a while that I was seeing a lot of mediocrity and not quite understanding why there wasn't more noise coming out of Columbus. Well, now they're starting to be, because this is beyond mediocrity. Yeah, no question. Yeah. And, and for a guy like him, you absolutely have to start to think to yourself, if you think you've, you're, you're not going to end up on the right side of things next year. It makes a lot of sense to get out because if you get fired from Ohio State, you're not going to get a job like a Notre Dame, you know, for instance, right. you're going to get, you're going to go to, you know, not Iona, but you're probably going to end up some a smaller school, you know, look at, look at guys like, um, well, Richard Petit went to New Mexico, right? right. That's not, that's a pretty good gig actually, but you know, that Tim miles had to sit out a year and then he's, he's resurfaced at San Jose state and is doing a very good job there, but that that illustrates your point. You don't just hop back into another high major. You have to go back to mid-major jail and (laughs) rehabilitate yourself before you can get another crack. 
You know, yep. it's it's a smarter move in some ways if you think. Now, another name I've heard, uh, not in the Big Ten, but I was uh, listening to another podcast and there was some talk about Bobby Hurley maybe deciding to jump out of Arizona and to be a candidate for the St. John's job. And the reason was he's in this pattern there where it's every year he enters kind of on the firing line (laughs) and has to prove himself and that he might just decide, well, I might as well start over, start fresh. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Brian Gregory did that actually when he jumped from Dayton to Georgia tech. You know, they were Dayton was getting ready to kind of, and that was actually a slight move up. Um, it was a move in terms of conference affiliation, sure. but you know, Dayton's a pretty good job in the A10, and Georgia Tech really isn't in the ACC. But you get my point. Mm-hmm. So guys do this. It it absolutely Steve Alford's the classic example where he actually stepped down a notch going from Iowa to New Mexico, but boy, he made that work. Um, ended up getting the UCLA job out of it, but, uh, eventually, but, uh, it's, it's a tricky thing. I could, I, I look, I see this Ohio State next year. Yes. Good incoming recruiting class. But if they were to lose Sensabaugh, if he goes pro, then what's coming back isn't tremendous it's okay i mean douglas has been pretty good we're going to talk about gail's shown some potential if key is healthy that helps the big kid backing him up shows potential so there are some players but it's not like you've got this great core group that right has been ultra productive coming back and then you're adding in freshmen it's a good freshman class but there's no mcdonald's all americans there's nobody I mean, the, the kid who's kind of the jewel of their class was a guy that Michigan State recruited. And in Michigan State's class, depending upon how you view Cohen Carr, he, he'd either be third or fourth. Right. And, you know, so do you expect things to change radically? Maybe. And, and he's probably got to be back in the portal again, too. So does he get luckier there? I, I don't know. It just, it, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel great to me, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. The, the one thing I comment, and it's actually about your previous point too, you know, the, the transfer portal. And I, I think in some level, the COVID year throws things into out of whack, you know, a little bit. And so there are probably more, there's more talent available in the portal than previously. And that also could, that, is, that, is that could also that really affect true. the fact that the hundred top hundred players have not seen as much playing time. And that would be something you'd expect when you have more fifth year, six year seniors or whatever, you know, floating around. It's- Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's very true that, um, there is a domino effect and it goes all the way. And I've been saying this ever since they introduced the immediate eligibility rule for transfers. If you are a high school recruit and you get an offer that you really like, you'd better jump you'd better take it unless you are the elite of the elite. Right. And I don't mean, I don't mean you're a top 50 guy. I mean, you're top five, right? Xavier Booker would be one. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was going to wait on Xavier Booker. 
um, probably as great as I think they are as prospects, probably not the case for somebody like Garrett Norman or even Cohen Carr. Um, you know, some schools that were recruiting them might have, if they had delayed their decisions, might have opted to go another direction. Um, it is, it is definitely the case where you are seeing that domino effect impact high school players. There's zero doubt about that. And it's impacting them in terms of where they have the opportunity to go when they get there, how much playing time is available. If they are getting playing time, what role they are playing, it affects all of that. Sure. So absolutely true. I also think the other thing about the the portal, because it is a larger you know, a larger aspect of roster construction now than in the past and probably going forward for, you know, the foreseeable future. Since there's so much more movement, I think just it's tougher to scout. And I think, you know, when you, when people look at like, you know, how you put a roster together, let's say in the NBA and you're making a trade for some player, everyone really knows that player, not only the, they're, you know, obviously, you know, your statistics and you know how they play because it's a smaller league and you can just know everybody, but you know, you know the personality. You have a better feel for what that person's like and whether they're going to be able to mesh in your team. You know, you're never going to know for sure, but you have a better idea of that. You just cannot possibly know that in the transfer portal right now. With, I mean, it's always there's always a gamble, but especially when you start adding more than just like one piece, you're adding three or four every year. The likelihood that those are all going to fit together real well, I, I mean, it's I think it's more more unlikely, and you're going to have a lot more sort of. <laughs> Uh, teams that are struggle to to have a good consistency from year to year or even throughout the year until they sort of figure each other out. We have been talking all year long, even before the season started, about how difficult it was to discern much of a difference in overall quality between majority of the teams in the Big Ten. Right. And I and I actually think for as muddled as I thought it was going to be. It's been even more muddled. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. You can go. I mean, this is clear. You can go 12 deep in this conference, one through 12 on any. Now that Purdue has fallen back to earth the way I figured they would. You go one to 12 and any given day, anything can happen. Really not the cliche meaning really anything can happen. Part of that, there's a lot of reasons for it, but part of that, I think you can attribute to what we're talking about, that you have, (laughs) it used to be, you basically had two guys in the country playing at this. You had Mike Krzyzewski and you had John Calipari, and they would have new teams largely every year, but it was new teams stocked with truly elite talent. So, and those guys are proven coaches, so they could get, they could most, most of the time they would get it done to one extent or another. Now, almost everybody is playing at being John Calipari or Mike Krzyzewski in that way, in that a good portion of their rosters are new. We're, We're talking about it with Chris Holtman. Chris Holtman had just a huge turnover. Look at Underwood. People want to understand how Illinois can go smack somebody one week and then the next week go back and lose to Ohio state. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> they, they, they've got an almost entirely new team this year. Yeah. 
So the idea that you think there's going to be any consistency is crazy. I mean, Tom, Tom Izzo has talked about this during the season and made it very clear where he stands. And although I don't, I don't, he's talked about it in some different, he's characterized it maybe a little differently. I think it all comes around to the same thing that you are generally going to be better off if you prioritize continuity. You know, he talks about it in, in terms of development, but it's the same thing. It's developing individuals, but it's also developing those individuals playing together with other individuals consistently over time. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, there's no question that I'm not saying it's been a hundred percent on the money because nothing ever is, but there is a clear difference in the level that someone like age hard plays in terms of knowing his teammates and understanding how to, how to maximize what his team can do when he's right. There's no question that level is higher now than it was a year ago because he's had more time. He and Tyson Walker so much better dialed in together than they were, right? Oh, yeah, well, compared to last year, for it's sure. Not, it's not, yeah, it's not crazy. They've played together more. So I think when, when you try to figure out how the Big Ten can just be this roller coaster with every team, you know, winning and losing these games, you know, Penn State uh, has a huge lead at home against Rutgers that they blow. And then they go into Northwestern, which was sitting there second in the league and beat Northwestern last night. I mean, it's, you know, again, it shouldn't be surprising. Maryland goes into Columbus playing this Ohio State team, a bad team. Maryland's in that log jam for a, you know, very much in contention for a, a, a double buy for a top four finish. They lose, you know, it's, it's not hard to understand. Maryland's another team. Look at all the guys that are new to that team this year, a whole bunch of them, all their guards or their two starting guards, at least. Um, it's not surprising. Yeah. So. I think that's all playing into what we've seen this year. And again, not just even in the big 10, but around the country. Yeah, I think so too. And, and the other thing, aspect of that, and that makes it different than what Kalapari and Krzyzewski have done. Yes. They had big turnovers of their team, but they're all getting people that they've been recruiting and they know personally, and they have a feel for what, who they are like, you know, the OKG, right? It's a good point. And right now it's a good point. These other, you, you don't know who, unless you could recruit them previously. Like, you know, we've, we mentioned most of the transfers coming to Michigan state, Michigan state new Joey Hauser, for instance, you know, Tyson Walker's an aberration, but for the most part, the people they had some sort of contact with, but for like, you know, Kalapari and Krzyzewski, they knew those players, but now it's just like totally random. Well, and, and you make a really, really good point with that. When you're recruiting a high school player, generally speaking, you've invested at least a year, sometimes more in these guys. So presumably, you know them very, very well. You know who they are. You got a better idea about how they're going to fit. The recruiting period for guys in the portal is weeks, yeah. to max, max. Sometimes days. And if you don't have prior association with them, if you don't know them from 
you know, earlier in their careers, having recruited them or, or having some insight with a former coach, you know, something, a U program, something that connects you to them. It's guesswork. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, well, I mean, like you mentioned, that's going to cause all kinds of problems. It gets, it gets closer and closer to AAU all the time. I mean, that's just how it is. I I'm waiting for the day and, you know, I kind of, was this a point I, I have it in my mind that this was a point that, oh, I guess Jack Abling was talking about trades, but the other thing I wonder is, you know, do we get to the point that you can, that you can make a mid season decision to transfer? Yeah. Like they do in AAU, where you could just jump around. I, well, it's it's not I, I don't it's not unreasonable we, to think that that will happen at some point, right? Or that people will entertain that. I don't think that. that will. I don't think that will last very long. I think that might be a bridge too far. But boy, the logical, you know, I can go to one college and then decide if, as long as I've got my timing right, I can transfer to another college and start right up the next semester. Yeah, theoretically. Right. Um. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy stuff, but I think I think some of these things we're talking about are at root to bring it back around to Ohio <laughs> State with what's gone on. Yeah, oh, I think it's absolutely correct. And the final thing I just mentioned in general, there's definitely uh, got to be a from a resource standpoint, there's definitely got to be an allure to doing the transfer portal because I mean you're not spending all that time flying around. I mean I don't know how much how expensive it is, but you know especially if you're traveling outside your region. It's got to be super oh, expensive. I mean, outside of just the time aspect, but so it's much simpler in some ways to get transfers than to actually try and recruit someone for a year or two. And, and here's the thing you're getting guys who theoretically are more physically mature, right? That's usually going to be like the a 25 year old Robracha. <laughs> yes. That, that's yeah. It's crazy when he was going, you know, when Kohler was in the game playing him a seven year age difference that that shouldn't happen. But anyway, um, you're getting physical maturity. You should be getting maturity in the game at this level. You know, even if you're dealing with guys transferred up from a mid major, they've still experienced division one basketball. You know, they've played, they almost certainly played some high majors, if nothing else. So you're ahead from that perspective. And as a coach, yeah, you don't have the opportunity to get to know them or their games as well as you might like because of the truncated period to recruit them. But you have proven production sure. as a college player. Sure. You can look and say, hey, this guy shot 38% from three in the Missouri Valley last year. Okay, he can probably shoot. Getting a high school guy, especially for immediate transfer of skill we see it all the time guys who had reputations coming out of high school as good shooters might struggle for a year it might take them a full year before they they figure it out right you know um so if you're taking a long view maybe not such a big deal but if you're talking about well, what have i got next year hey the guy who's actually done it in college is a safer bet for sure in a yeah. lot of ways so this is, yeah, this isn't going away. Not at all. And you're going to, you're clearly, clearly going to continue to see high major schools leaving multiple scholarships open. So they have the ability to go into the portal and get guys. I mean, I just think that's now part of the plan. Yeah, I would think so. 
All right, well, let's start talking about the Buckeyes a little bit here and go through the Stars, which has changed a little bit since uh, the last time you should say played them not that long ago. Uh, the lineup is brought to you by Brothers That Just Do Gutters. Kurt Stauffer and his team over on the west side of the state do fantastic work. If you have gutter problems, and we, as if you own a home, you have gutters, or if you don't, you're really in trouble. <laughs> you should uh, keep this water away from your house, from the siding, uh, from standing water around your foundation. There are all kinds of reasons you need to have good gutters. That means you have lots of trees, probably, because we're in Michigan. So if you do have that problem with leaves, they can clean them out. They can put leaf guards on them if you want. They can repair gutters. They can put bigger gutters on. So if you've got like the four-inch ones, you might need six-inch so that you actually have better, if you have too big a roof, that they can't hit all the water. Uh, they can replace them. They have all kinds of color selections. They are fully insured. They do quick work. And Kurt and his team will take care of you lickety-split, and you will not... Uh, regret that decision. They did my house and they did a fantastic work. Uh, you can get 10% off if you just mentioned Final Four when you talk to Kurt. You can get a hold of him uh, by email at kurt.stauffer, that's K-U-R-T dot S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R uh, at brothersgutters.com. You can find that link in the show notes here on the podcast player, whatever you're playing, just in the, uh, the synopsis below. And so check out Kurt and his team if you have gutter issues or even if you're thinking that maybe you need to check them, have someone look at them and make sure they're okay. All right, so go to the starters. We'll begin with Bruce Thornton, a 6'2 freshman, averaging 9.6 points a game on 45, 37, and 77 shooting. Leads Ohio State in assists with 74, but also has 41 turnovers. And he's the guy that you mentioned last time that you thought he'd be a guy who'd drive and get into the lane a little bit more since he's kind of a strong kid, but doesn't do that a whole lot. Correct. Yeah. And nothing's changed. Um, <laughs> That's right. He's a, you know, it, it, this is an, he's a good example of what we were just talking about. I can't remember if he was a McDonald's all American or not. If he wasn't, he was on the cusp of being at level. He was the highest rated recruit in their class, not sensible. And look, he's been pretty good. I think if you objectively look at Bruce Thornton, what I conclude is this is a guy who, if he sticks around, is going to be maybe even as soon as next year, is going to be a problem for people. He's shot the ball reasonably well. He's, I wouldn't say he's an elite creator yet. Pen more penetration would help. Um, but he, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes either. He definitely shows everything you would want to see in a point guard for the future and say, okay, he's been pretty good this year. And you can see a potential all conference guy at some point down the line in his game. But what's he doing this year? He's not quite at double digits. So there you go. He's one of the 89, <laughs> right, not yeah. one of the 11, you know, especially now since he's got, high rated. Well, right? Yeah. Actually, I'm not even sure. I don't think Sensabaugh is one of the 11 because I don't think he was top 100. I think he was outside the top 100. But anyway, um, good player. I think a lot of promise to be very good player down the line for this year, you know, solid, but and definitely a shooter you got to be cognizant of. They're not a bad deep shooting team, but um, not a guy who terrifies you just yet. Speaking of bad shooting, next guard is Isaac Likely, 6'5 grad transfer from Oklahoma State. He has a lot of assists, just like Thornton, but he's much less turnover. So he's about a 3-to-1 
assist to turnover ratio, yeah. averaging only four points a game on 40, 22, <laughs> and 46 shooting, uh, but pulling down four and a half rebounds a game. Yeah, I mean, he came in with a reputation as a guy who could help out at the point, and he has done that. He and Douglas are a pretty good one-two combination, and really, that that isn't to be dismissed because point guard has been a problem for Ohio State for several years. I mean, I would, I would argue they haven't had a really good answer there since Shannon Scott, and that's a long time ago. I mean, this has been a position that's been a, an issue for them. And these two guys, they're not, you know, neither one of them is all Big Ten, but they're both solid players. The, the problem with likely is he just can't shoot, as you said. I mean, he just can't hit jumpers. So that puts a little bit of a limitation, but um, he's probably their best individual defender for whatever that's worth on this <laughs> Some team. Of the <laughs> um, but he's a, you know, he's a glue guy type. Next would be Sean McNeil, 6'4", grad transfer from West Virginia, averaging 9.6 points a game. And he's 42, 36, and 88 shooting. Yeah, and that's primarily how he helps his team. This is a deep shooter. That's his role. He's been reasonably effective in it, but, you know, not. I think if he had been like a 43, 44% kind of guy, then maybe you're saying, well, this is a real plus. Yeah. But I think like a lot of these guys, he struggles defensively. And so you have to look at it. Okay. He, he can hit you three occasionally, but how much is he given up at the other end? And I think that's where Ohio state's had some problems sure. is in making all of that work. And playing the four justice suing six, six senior transferred from California and was injured last year, missed most of the season. He's averaging 12.1 points a game on 43, 24, and 74 shooting and 5.3 rebounds a game. He reminds me a little bit of a smaller, a little smaller elite call in that mm -hmm. he's got a lot of versatility to him. The big difference, and it's a big difference. The main difference this year is Malik Hall is a 40% shooter from three. Yeah. So he's an actual weapon out there. Just assuming shot, he has shot better at previous points in his career. It has not been there for him this year. And again, it's a limiter. He's still having a solid year, but without the threat of a consistent jumper, he's easier to deal with. If you remember back to that Michigan State game in Columbus, MSU did a really good job on him when he would try to penetrate because yeah. that's a big part of his offensive game they did a really good job kind of steering him into the lane not letting him get an actual angle to the rim but kind of forcing him into traffic and then there'd usually be a second defender waiting for him and it it, it caused him to have some difficulty um he's a good player i thought he would be a little better with the jumper this year and so that has limited him a bit you wonder too how much he's affected from the recovery from the injury. You know, I, I don't remember what his injury was, but it may have just affected his. Uh, it was a it was a leg. Injury yeah, so that could be type, certainly could still correctly. linger over right into your yeah. shot the next year. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Finally, uh, at the five spot, Felix Apara, six eleven, two hundred twenty pound freshman, who's replaced Key since Key's out for the season. 
He's averaging 3.8 points a game on 60-50, although just one for two, and 64 shooting, uh, pulling down 3.4 rebounds a game and a little over a block a game. Now, it's worth noting this guy had 12 and 12 and there went over Maryland. And I do think, as I've watched him play all year, his numbers over the course of the season aren't eye-popping, but he is a guy who's going to be a player for them. Yeah. I'm pretty convinced of that. I would expect that next year, even assuming Key's back and he's 100%, this kid's going to play more and he's going to have more of an impact. I think it'll be um, closer to a, I don't know that it's going to be a true 2020 split, but it'll be closer to that than it was this year. And and the way he played last night while going up against a good big man in Reese, Maryland, um, is, is an indication of that. But I've seen it even in games where he hasn't produced at that level. He's, you would think looking at him, or at least you wouldn't be surprised if the kind of kid he is as a freshman, if he was sort of raw and was just producing whatever he was producing based on length and athleticism and motor. But it, it's not just that. He's actually got some, some offensive game. And I think in time, he's going to be a pretty good two-way center. We'll move on to the reserves, and the first you have to talk to about, obviously, is Bryce Sensabaugh, 6'6 freshman wing. You mentioned before, maybe NBA-bound after the season. Uh, he was really just lights out at the beginning of this Big Ten season, slowed down a little bit. Uh, he's averaging 16.4 points a game, which is more than anyone else on the team, on 48, 41, and 82 shooting, uh, along with 5.2 rebounds a game. Uh, so even when he's not start, you know, not playing as well, he is still the best offensive weapon. Michigan State pretty much, well, I'd say neutralized him in the first matchup in Columbus. Yeah, they, they really did. And look, he was about halfway through Big Ten play. He was at 50% from three. So he's gone through a slump to fall all the way to 41. Um, and you could say freshman wall or coaches have figured some things out and the scouting reports are better on him specifically, but the thing you got to give sense about even at a time where he's maybe not as good as he was earlier, this is still a kid that possession to possession, he can just go get a bucket at times. And there's not a hell of a lot that guys at the big 10 bubble are going to be able to do to stop it. He's very strong. I mean, you look at him and he's, he's a big kid for a wing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's just sort of the definition of a power wing, um, decent athlete to go with that, but he's also very, very skilled. And when he's got it rolling his mid range game, I mean, the threes are nice, but him in the mid range, it is tough to stop because he just, he's got a good handle too. So he can, he can get his own shot through combination of all of those things and stick it in a way that not many guys at the Big Ten level can. There are times when you're watching him that, you know, I, I would say there are a lot of differences, maybe more now than ever, between the college game and the NBA game. But to me, the biggest difference between NBA players and college players is the way that NBA players can shoot, mm -hmm. meaning if you have a mismatch, 
in the NBA, they will kill you just relentlessly. They will not miss it. They won't miss the opportunity and they will exploit it. But it's also that old cliche about good defense, better offense. That happens all the time in the NBA. Right. People think that NBA teams don't defend. It's, it's both. Of course they do. But the talent level offensively with so many guys, and I don't even mean just superstars. I'm not talking about Kevin Durant. That's obvious. Talk about guys way down the pecking order from that, that you can guard, you can be there. You can be contesting properly and they will still hit it. College. You don't see that very often. Normally a guy's got to be open to consistently hit shots against you. Bryce Sensabaugh is a guy who can hit contested shots. And that's why I think, he can be an NBA player maybe as soon as next year because he has that ability. Anyway, you put all that stuff together, makes him a tough cover. Michigan state has some advantages versus some other teams in that they've got at least a couple guys in Hogard and then in hall who physically are decent matchups with sensible. Not every team has those options defensively. Next would be Tanner Holden, a 6'6", senior transfer from Wright State. He hasn't really done a whole lot for Ohio State and hasn't played the last few games for the Buckeyes. He's averaging a little, little under four points a game on 48, 46, and 86 shooting. So efficient, but obviously low volume with only averaging less than four points a game. I don't understand what's going on. You know, he was a very much ballyhooed transfer from Wright State where he was, I think he was close to a 20-point-a-game score last year in, uh, in the Horizon. So, okay, that's the horizon. You don't expect him to come into Ohio State and score 20 a night. But there was a feeling that he might be a starter when they got him. I mean, that's how he was viewed. You know, that he and McNeil might be a starting wing. So then he wasn't. Sensabaugh had emerged, and, you know, they liked the combination of, of Douglas and Likely together. But Holden was still playing a lot. He hasn't played the last five games. And his minutes were shrinking before leading into that. And I don't know what's happened. I don't, I, I looked and I didn't get, I didn't find anything that told me that there's been any kind of injury or that there's anything else going on. I think he's just getting a DNP coach's decision yeah. in favor of Eugene Brown, who we'll talk about in a second, who was not playing earlier in the year, but has started to play lately. So next would be Roddy Gale, 6'4", freshman wing, athletic skilled. Uh, he struggled with the shot this season, averaging 3.7 points a game on 39, 32, and 77 shooting. He's going to be a good player, I think. I mean, I, he was another highly regarded freshman. When you watch him play, you can get glimpses as to why that was the case. Pretty good athlete. The shot looks good. It hasn't fallen as consistently as they would like. But to me, he looks the part of a modern wing. You know, he's got decent size at 6'4", good athlete seems to have a skill set. It's just going to take more time, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if next year he's a uh, more productive player for them in either as a starter or, or in the rotation somewhere. I could, I, I think he's got potential. And finally, Eugene Brown, who you mentioned just a moment ago, six, six junior is playing a little bit more in favor of Holden averaging 2.1 points a game on 50, 36 and 50 shooting in about nine minutes a game. And you wonder in some respects, maybe Ohio State's already just sort of coaching for the future and, you know, Holden's going to be gone and you got Brown. So that's the thing, though. Holden's actually got another year. Oh, because he's a senior transfer, but that he, he could play. play. Another, yeah, yeah. Right. 
he could play. And that's, I, I saw some discussion that people weren't Ohio state. People weren't really clear as to what was going on. Um, Eugene Brown's got another year left too, but um, it is interesting because Eugene Brown was a guy that he ever played major, major minutes, but he played a role his freshman and sophomore year. And then I mean, he, he's got DNPs 13 times this year out of 30 games that they've yeah, played. Weird. So he had fallen out of the rotation. I don't even think he was in our notes and I don't think he played against Michigan state the first time, but more recently he's been playing. And I don't mean he's, he's not going out consistently getting 20 minutes a night, but he's playing and Holden isn't. So some decision has been made for some reason at that spot. That is a, it makes a very tight rotation. You're only about seven or eight players I mean, you know, I know part of the injuries. I mean, what happens with Opara leaves because he's, a, you know, their center five. They just play. They must just play small then, huh? Yeah, they have exactly right. They they have to go ultra small. And it, it's worth mentioning because and we'll come around to it in the keys in a second. But, um, yeah, they are very exposed. They They do not have another legitimate option. I mean, the next biggest guys are suing and sensible so six six yeah those are not five men yeah they should have gone to the portal and gotten a big just in case something happened right yeah why don't why doesn't why didn't uh, chris holtman <laughs> sign three other six ten guys oh i can't wait till COVID goes away too because I, I never have any idea how long people have to play i mean it was always hard and tricky enough with like medical red shirts could come in and play but now now it's like I don't know. Are you really basically it's, it's, it's this simple. You're right. You can't tell necessarily at first glance, but if, if somebody is in their third year or more, well, their third year or fourth year, let's put it that way. They've got another year um, due to COVID. They got another year. They can choose to exercise, you know, and if they've done five years, they don't have another year. Again, absent like a medical exemption or something. So you could say like a, a sophomores and juniors are basically the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, third year sophomores are. If you're a, if you're a sophomore, so let's look at the Michigan State equation. Um, Jaden Akins and, and Pierre Brooks will not have a COVID year. Right. So they're sophomores, right? Right. They're sophomores. Whereas Maddie Sissoko and AJ Hogard do. They're juniors, but they're basically like sophomores. They have so, they kind of, so they are kind they of like could, the same. They could have two more years after this one right. if they choose. Yes. Okay. It's always, yeah. So that's the demarcation line. So you got a couple of years to flush out the COVID. COVID yeah. Years. If you, if you played, if you played in the COVID year, if you played the 2021 season and you aren't already five years in now, you have another year left. All right, well, let's uh, go to the five keys of the game then. Brought to you by Nudge Printing. We'll be back in just a moment. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great 
talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, the five keys to the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. I'd like to remind you that Nudge Printing also has a second business. So Gabe and Brittany set up a second business, which is where they make custom t-shirts for your business, your family, maybe a, a fundraiser for school that you can go to the website. It's called Fabricated Customs. You can get the same deal there with Final Four as the coupon code to get 20% off your order. But they can do all the things like, you know, you're trying to collect money from all the kids in class for the band trip. It's much easier to just have Gabe and his team do it for you, where they have it all. They do pre-orders, or they can just have things set up ahead of time. They'll do all the shipping. They'll get everything to everyone. They'll collect all the money. So you don't have to do any of that stuff as a parent, which is a gigantic help. So you can go to fabricatedcustoms.com, talk to Gabe, Viscomi uh, at his uh, through email. Uh, you can contact him through that page, and they can set you up. They can do the design for you, or you can give them a design. Whatever you need done, they can set you up and take care of that with, again, stay, the same high-quality T-shirts that they use for other things like with our show, uh, which you can access if you want to support a show. You can do that as well through Nudge Printing, their other business. And so um, check out that Team Fabricated Customs for your corporate retreat, school fundraiser, whatever else. Again, they're Michigan-based. They'll take good care of you. And it's high-quality screen-printed stuff. You can't go wrong. Five keys to the game. The first key to the game, shocking, is the threes. Michigan State offensively needs them to win. They did well against Ohio State. Obviously, they shot the lights out in the second half against Nebraska, and it was the reason that they just pulled away and obliterated Nebraska in the second half, outscoring them by 25 points. Uh, and that obviously is key not only to hit them, but to also have good open shots, uh, which is oftentimes orchestrated, as many people talk about and complain about, it seems like, is that there's not an inside-out game for Michigan State. There's not throwing into, you know, like a, Trace Jackson Davis, who then tosses it back out as he pulls it, draws a double team. It's a different ways that Michigan State's getting their threes. Yeah, and and it's look, it's critical. Michigan State after the Nebraska game became the number one high major three shooting team in the country. That's pretty good. <laughs> Better than anybody. <laughs> However, in terms terms of attempt there's somewhere i think they're somewhere in the 260s so decidedly in the bottom half you know and and probably the lower end of the third quarter the third quad of <laughs> of through so what does that tell you well the thing it tells me is you can't go too far with it because the fact of the matter is tom is a doesn't ever want to be, uh, you know, crazy 
three-point shooting team where they're taking, you know, 50%, 55% of their shots from three. That's never going to be Michigan's under a bet scenario. But the other thing it tells you is at times and far too often this year, Michigan State's offense has not functioned the way that it needs to to get more attempts up. And you landed on a big part of the problem. Traditionally at Michigan State, playing inside out, the utilization of a player who can demand doubles has been a big part of their success. You know, anytime you can force the defense to distort. So anytime you're forcing the defense to bring help, that's going to create a situation where you have an open man and the defense then has to recover if you get the ball back out. And if you get a team scrambling in recovery, that's what's going to lead to high-quality shots. And MSU really can't do it via post-ups this year because they just don't have that combination of, of – they don't have that player, right, that kind yeah. of talent. Right. But there are other – you know, they say there are multiple ways to skin a cat, right? There's another way to do this. And the other way to do it is you get penetration. And if you get penetration, if your guards are able to get into the lane, not even necessarily all the way to the rim, but just get into the lane, you can oftentimes produce the same effect. And Michigan State has a guard who can do that in A.J. Hogard. The thing is, he hasn't consistently done it well. When he does it well, as he did in the second half in Lincoln, you see what happens. It, it forces the defense to commit extra bodies to him. And he can then kick it back out to open shooters. If you look at the highlights of all those, there, there's a clip out there. I think Michigan State put out itself showing all 14 of his, which by the way, we didn't even yeah, we didn't talk, talk about his huge assist game. Where that stands. Well, we talked about it, but we didn't talk about what it, what right. it, yeah. what it was historically. Um, it is, I believe it's tied in a three-way tie for like second, or th- maybe best three, th- three yeah. people yeah. for second best. The best was Mateen Cleaves in that famous, <laughs> you know, senior year, senior day, absolute leveling of Michigan. Um, but then there's a bunch of other guys. I guess, who was it? Was it Denzel? Somebody, maybe somebody else and Irvin Johnson, like three times. I've heard of that guy. Had, four, had 14 assists in a game. Yeah. So it was a big game, but there's a clip out there anyway that I believe shows all 14 of AJ's assists. And a high percentage of them are situations where he did exactly what I'm talking about, where he penetrated, forced a Nebraska defense to come to him to commit an extra body or extra bodies to him, and he kicks out to open shooters or Sometimes even, which you wouldn't see on those clips, it's a hockey assist. He kicks out to somebody who then makes the pass to the right. open shooter. Yeah. There's that too. That is what Michigan State needs. It's, it's that. And then in addition to that, it's also Michigan, what I would call Michigan State level ball and man movement. So it means things like, if somebody grabs an offensive rebound, does a shooter relocate 
himself to make himself available for a kickout pass. Same thing would be true off penetration as well. You know, that requires everybody to be in sync. And Michigan State's been better at that lately. It is not an accident, in my opinion, that they have been blistering the nets the way they have been lately, because I think movement has been better. Yeah, I agree. Not just A.J. Hogard's movement, but everybody's movement. Ball movement, too. There's another clip out there that I believe Michigan State put out yesterday, which if you appreciate basketball aesthetics, to me, it chef's kiss. I mean, it was just perfect. (laughs) There's a segment where the ball swings around the horn to Joey Hauser. And he's near, he's not quite in the, the uh, corner of the half set, but he's close, but he doesn't have a shot. Nebraska had, had gotten to him and it's a reasonable contest. So he has a choice. He can just swing the ball back the other way, but Nebraska is going to have that covered. At least initially they will. Instead. He goes cross court to the other corner. That pass, which you could call a skip pass, and the the reason for the name is you're skipping the next logical pass is the shortest, the shortest distance between you and the guy you're passing mm-hmm. to would be for him to swing it back around, reverse the direction, you know, which is not a bad decision in and of itself. That can produce results too if you execute it properly. But if you really want to put a defense under stress, if you make a skip pass, well, then that's going to force them to have to do some things because the defender for the guy you're passing to most likely isn't in position yet. So it's going to put that defense under stress. He complete it's a it's a riskier pass. You have to you have to complete it. You have to be careful that somebody's not in the passing lane. And you know, right, right. that sometimes when guys try to make skip passes. In this case, wasn't wasn't there i believe it was um maybe tyson he's in the other corner opposite he gets the pass they go right back around the horn again it's tyson to jay nakins a hogard right back in the corner in record time to joey hauser but this time because of all the stress that's been placed on the defense he's wide open and he drains a three it it is it's out there if you haven't seen it i encourage you to look at it because from a from an aesthetics point of view to me is the epitome of what makes offensive basketball beautiful (laughs) no dribbling it's all passing the ball is is humming and it's it's being moved purpose with an idea in mind and they executed brilliantly and that stuff is what is going to lead to success for Michigan state. And it's going to lead to Michigan state getting more attempts up. I see sometimes people looking at these numbers and saying, well, we just need to attempt more threes. Oh, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. You don't want to just throw up threes for the sake of throwing up threes. If you're taking more threes, but they're all contested, that's not good. You need to run your offense in a way that generates more open threes. And they are doing a better job of that lately. Absolutely, they are. It needs to continue. Okay, the second key to the game is the defensive glass. Ohio State was uh, 
has been a good offensive rebounding team this season. Obviously not as good recently because of Zed Key's injury. And as we mentioned before, they're just a much smaller team than they've been in the past. However, they did do really well against Michigan State the first time with 14 boards. Michigan State has been a good defensive rebounding team, but has these games where they're just not for some reason. And yeah. this, you have to avoid that. This is one thing you have to shore up to make as you go further on. Because if you want to go through a deep run either in the Big Ten tournament or certainly the NCAA tournament, you, you can't have lapses like that. 100%. And look, they, they shouldn't be as effective as bad without key. But, you know, they out-rebounded MSU 14 to 12. It just got lost in the shuffle because, you know, Michigan State just obliterated them yeah. in Columbus. But they did do a very good job on the offensive boards in that game. That was with Zed Key. But in fairness, it wasn't 100% key either. So I still have concerns. Um, Michigan State has got to tighten it up. And as you say, absolutely correctly, in my view, this is it. I mean, this is the last regular season game. We're at a point where, you know, like Izzo, I haven't heard him say it in a couple of years, but there's there's no more my bads left. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's one and done after this. They, yeah, this is it. So the next point, key to the game is points in the paint. Without key, obviously, Ohio State is not able to generate much. I don't remember them doing a whole lot against Michigan State in the first game, but of course they didn't do a whole lot of anything against Michigan State in the matchup in Columbus. Uh, so, you know, and is this an opportunity for Michigan State to get a little bit going? Maybe, you know, Mate can get something, and certainly Jackson, maybe even Cooper. Yeah, and that's primarily what I'm talking about. I think in two ways. One, uh, Ohio State's just not good defensively anyway, so I think guys like Hogarth and Walker can get, and maybe Akins can get themselves into the lane and make some things happen, which counts as, paint point production you know but also that the big guys i think as we talked about ohio state's gonna have to play some minutes in this game where they get really small and now how how does michigan state play that they may counter by going small themselves yeah so it's not yeah. like it's a guarantee that well jackson kohler will be out there being guarded by a 6-6 guy because the problem is he's then got to guard the 6-6 guy at the other end but if it's Joey Hauser and Malik Hall, I still think Michigan State can get some things done inside with those guys. Sure. So I'm hoping this is a game where we see Michigan State actually able to do some more than we more than we typically see inside. Fourth key to the game is AJ. Obviously, need him to be good. He's the one who makes the the offense go. And the one point I, we didn't even mention this in the and I was thinking about this after we had done a recording, but that one play where. I don't remember who it was. Uh, maybe, um, well, I don't know. One of the guards I mean, in Nebraska cramped up. He's like laying on the floor, <laughs> laying on the ground. It was, it was Lawrence. Lawrence, there you go. And AJ attacked. Like he didn't want to give any opportunity. To, it, I mean, the, that sort of a, a intelligence of the play, you know, to just take that. Because you know they're going to blow the whistle as soon as you d the ball slows down or something. To attack. And it was another time, I think, in that same half when someone else was injured. Tomonaga, I think, was injured. And you just attack right away and not allow any opportunity for. That's right. And those are just like really smart plays, and that's when he's like really locked in. And so I, I just want to you know mention that too because I think that was the heady play. Uh, look, you don't need to look any further than the two halves of that game to see what a difference a locked in and focused AJ Hogard means to this team. Just the whole way around, everything, and they can't be anywhere near their their potential best without that happening. 
So it's as simple as that. Sure. And the fifth key to the game, it's senior day. <laughs> Michigan State's had a number of emotional sort of games recently at the end of the season here in Big Ten play. They've won 10 straight senior day games. The last one was when they lost to Ohio State. And boy, I feel like they play Ohio State a lot during senior day. At least, I mean, they did it's last year. It's happened a few times. Well, I mean, because uh, Hoban was, was it, really mad was last it, time because he was mad. It wasn't they, last year. Was it? No, it wasn't. It, and it wasn't the COVID year. It was Michigan, I think, that was senior day. Yeah. Um, but they played Ohio State near it. The, the, the other two that I remember recently were Cassius's senior day was Ohio State. And that was the game Chris Holtman got here. Oh, okay, that's what I'm thinking of because that's when I was at. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he didn't understand it was that one. Yeah, and then and then the last loss, which was just uh, all three games with Ohio State that year, the 2012 season, Draymond Green senior Great year, games. were just absolute wars. They were the two best teams. I know Michigan got a share of the title too, but come on, they <laughs> they weren't at the level. They weren't. Yeah, they weren't yeah. at the level that Michigan State and Ohio State were. And, you know, Michigan State ended up winning the rubber match uh, a week later in the uh, in the Big Ten tournament to earn a number one seed. But Ohio State won on senior day, which meant there was a three way tie for the regular season title in the Big Ten rather than Michigan State winning it outright, which, frankly, I think they deserve to do that year. I think they were the best team. Um regular season but it didn't work out way and credit to ohio state they had a great team that year jared sullinger and Kraft and those guys and and they were really good on that day and they won a very tight very hotly contested game which also might have been the day that that michigan state team had its ceiling lowered for what they could do in the ncaa tournament because brand freshman brandon dawson got hurt yeah and was done for the year on that day, MSU rallied to win the Big Ten tournament without them, but I don't think they were the same in the NCAA tournament. And as we know, they lost in the Sweet 16 to Louisville um, eventually. But uh, in any event, that's the last time. It's 10 years ago. Uh, and it's the same. So if you believe in Omens, that might be a little troubling, but I'm, I'm not too concerned about that aspect of it. The, the, the part that I'm more focused on is that Traditionally, Michigan State plays very well on senior day. There have been a lot of times over Tom Izzo's tenure where Michigan's come out and just laid an egg. It just doesn't happen yeah. very often. And so I would expect a very focused effort. Um, we still don't know whether they've got any seniors that will actually leave because, in theory, they could all be back. Even Joey Hauser could petition and Michigan state would have, I believe, let me think about this. So they've got, yeah, they've got 10, right? Uh, we've got the starters. We've got, um, Holloman, uh, Brooks and the two bigs and hall. Yeah. They could bring all three back theoretically. Now I don't expect that to happen. I really don't. I'd be very surprised by Joey Hauser coming back. And he's the guy who it's not automatic. He would have to get a medical exemption, but I, I think he'd get. Um, but the other two, Hall and Walker, I think it's very open right now. We'll just have to see. I'm not I'm not saying anything in terms of what I what I think will happen because I think these decisions always come once the season's over and guys truly have 
an ability to get a clear head yeah. and make a call, but there are possibilities. Now I'm saying this to say, if those guys go through with their senior day ceremonies, I don't read into that at all. Right. You shouldn't. They could easily come back. Jo- I, Joey came back. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, don't get, don't think there's any statement in that inherent in that when you see them go through the ceremony. Um, but more to the point for Michigan State's fortunes, generally speaking, this has been a, a, a day game in which Michigan State plays pretty well. And I expect that's what we're going to see. I would be very surprised with a flat kind of effort out of MSU. I think they're going to be pretty good. And I think that spells trouble for Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, I, I agree. You wouldn't expect any strange lineups with playing seniors because the only seniors, you know, you're not going to start Stephen Izzo, I wouldn't, I can't imagine. Uh, I don't know if Davis Smith is. I think the, on, the only Davis thing, is, yeah, the only thing would be starting. No, that, that I don't think that'll happen. The only thing would be uh, you might expect Malik Hall to start instead of Jaden Akins. Right. Yeah. Actually, that would be that's it. probably and, true. and that's not really that. That's not really that weird. Yeah. Right. So no, I agree. Um, it's also Stephen Izzo's last opportunity, probably, to score. Uh, to I mean, unless something weird happens, the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament, I suppose. Um, so. You know, and I guess, you know, I was reading an article with David Harms, I think wrote it, which is really good just about the relationship between Izzo and his son and Stephen Izzo graduated. I didn't realize this as a junior. So he's in grad school right now. He just graduated in three years, but he could potentially come back for for another year or two. And he has to decide if he wants, Right. (laughs) which, you know, I don't think he's certain. He's just certainly a walk on. It's not that key, but personal sort of decision, how much you're done with college. Uh, Michigan State's a six-point favorite per Ken Palm. I think you know they won by easily by double digits in Columbus. You'd expect the same here, especially with a more depleted team than before. But Ohio I'm State's going, hot, yeah, as hot as they've been this well, season, right? I mean, yes, they have well, not been. Well, they're hotter than they were when they played what Michigan does that State. Mean? They they won. They won. Yeah, they won a couple games, but they were at home, and we just we just talked about I won. I didn't see any of the Illinois game, to be fair, but I did see a good portion of the Maryland game. Anybody think Maryland was good? Oh, Maryland's <laughs> a horrible road team. They're two and eight on the road. Michigan State, as a contrast, I believe has won four road games right this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I mean, yeah, they won a couple times. Great. They're not hot. This isn't. Ohio, Ohio state is not coming into this the way, say Iowa's coming into their next game. We are like, these guys can't miss anymore. Right. You know, it's not that. Yeah. I expect Michigan. I don't often make predictions on this thing. Expect Michigan state to cover. <laughs> if, if the Vegas line is equivalent to the Ken Palm line six, expect Michigan state to cover. Yeah. Right. I mean, I you could probably argue that Nebraska was hot playing Michigan State. Certainly, way like Tobago yeah, was they playing. Won stuff. Four a, yeah, they'd won four in a row. Right. So what? <laughs> right. I mean, I look. I, I the only thing I would say is this. Um, it's probably good for Michigan State that Ohio State actually won those two games. Why? Because you're at least not dealing with a team 
that that can come in feeling like, man, guys, this is it. This is our last chance to have anything to hang our hats on and remember this season by positively and just let it all hang out. They, they got those wins. Yeah. So they're not whatever feeling of desperate. Now you, the other side of it is, well, they're feeling confident now, maybe, but I would also say whatever level of desperation they might have had has been lessened at least a little bit. Sure. And Michigan State's going to take it more seriously than they might have had. They lost, you know, 15, sure, 16 or too. something too. So Right. Yeah. Izzo can, uh, I'm sure Izzo's been on these guys who figured it out. They've won two in a row. <laughs> They haven't figured much out. I'm, I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> well, the only other thing of note is that I will be shooting free throws because it is the final game of the season at halftime for an opportunity to win a trip for two to the final four. Uh, so my son will be really nervous out in the stands <laughs> probably more than I will. I mean, for sure. Uh, so I've been practicing a ton. I was actually practicing before recorded here today. I think I'm better, uh, but you know that I've, I, people ask me, you know, in the OR and stuff, like, you know, you practice a lot. How How is it when you get out to the floor? Do the fans bother you? And I will say I'm not at all bothered by the fans. I'm not really nervous in that sense because, again, I maybe I've mentioned this before, but my job is I have people watching me all the time, so I, that part doesn't really bother me or affect me too much. Yeah. I'm more bothered by the fact that I'm not good at basketball, and so that <laughs> it's a struggle. And something <laughs> I, I never, you know, really played. I was so tiny in high school. I never really played basketball. But – um. The, the thing that the thing that I find the hardest is that the basket looks different in on Breslin than it does at uh, in the gym, like at the Y, because of the Y you have curtains, oh, yeah. you have all this stuff. These the, visually, it's just different. It's like you've got a wall behind the basket at Breslin. You can kind of just kind of keep seeing through it. And so everything looks really close like this. It just looks very just strange. And I can't even imagine anywhere I could even practice and get that sort of. Uh, you know, if you go to high school gym, it still looks the same that you know, no one has stands, at least in this part that I'm aware of where they have stands behind the baskets. And so it's really hard to get those sort of sidelines. I will, I will share something with you. Um, you are absolutely right. And sometimes you will hear people talk about the really big effect, which is in the NCAA yeah, tournament, the big, huge usually state, yeah. in the final four, when they get to a dome, right? when the final four was at Ford field, then you've really got a different background. Most high school gyms, you're absolutely right. There's a wall that's fairly close to the baseline to where the, the backboard is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have a consistent enough appearance from gym to gym to gym. My school, when I played actually did not have that. We had a dome. Oh, and so there was, there were stands behind each basket. So it was a little more akin, but I, I know what you're talking about. If you're not used to it and it can feel as if the, the, the backboard is just kind of out there in space and it can, it can be disorienting, yeah. right? It looks closer and it, it looks not, like. not as tall yeah. is what it looks like to me when I'm out there. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, what you're, what you're undergoing is absolutely true. Yeah. And that is a big difference, but you know, the other way of looking at it is you can do the old Gene Hackman, Hickory <laughs> high Still treatment 10 feet. and get out the, get out the, uh, the tape, get measure. out the ruler, yeah. the tape measure, and it's still 10 feet. And the distance from the stripe to the rim is still the same. 
And so if you're, you know, if you've got that, if you've got that muscle memory drilled into yourself, it's the same shot. You know, and obviously this is your third or fourth go around. This is my third. Yes, this is the third round. So I believe I believe okay. the last the, the guy I'm going up against, I think it's the one from the la- that we saw at Indiana hit two. And my last round I hit five. So I'm feeling pretty confident that I can And what was your first round performance? Four. Four. Yeah, three. Four. four. Okay. So you're, you would be out on favorite then based on that. I I but would think we so. take nothing for granted. So best of luck. Um, be a big, big boost for the podcast. I think to have a, a free throw competition winner. It it's and, good. Um, yeah, we'll drive all kinds of traffic here. Um, yeah, I it actually, I'm sure that it, well, it's going to give you the opportunity. Now, now, let me ask you this: yeah. When you win, is there any kind of competition that goes on Final Four? I don't think so. I think you well, just probably not. I think you right? just go there and just have the tickets. I'm I'm guessing you get hotel and airfare and then tickets for the two games. Uh, in beautiful Houston. Yeah, Texas. I guess I guess you couldn't really do that because the only way it would make sense is if you had contestants from each of the participant schools, and we we don't know who those will be. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, look, this is a huge deal. Best of luck, obviously, and it would be great. Uh, it'd be great to see you win it, and um, so we'll all root for that outcome, and that we have a couple victories to celebrate on Saturday. After. Absolutely, I will be wearing my. Final Four is not the schedule. Logoed sweatshirt and hoodie, so uh, which is super comfortable. And if you want to support the show, you can go buy it uh, at nudgeprinting.com. Uh, uh, visit our friends at nudgeprinting.com. Make sure you go over if you have gutter issues in the west side of the state, and that goes all the way from Lakeshore out to like Lowell in the Grand Rapids area, up to Rockford and down south to Saugatuck. Uh, contact Kurt and his team to help take care of you. And until next time, Final Four is not on the schedule. Go green. <laughs> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.